and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about baptism today. In a message in our series, uh, what we've been calling the Unqualified Series, which is a study of discipleship out of the Gospels. This is part five today. The message is entitled, Under the Influence. There's been a few goals in the series, but the primary goal is this, is to figure out what the difference between a believer in Jesus and a disciple in Jesus are. That it's very easy to believe things. Don't we know that it's easy to make claims and to say stuff? To make bold aspirations, to go forward and say, I will do this and I will do that. Don't we also know that it's much harder to follow through on doing the same things that we say we will do? Amen? It's not an easy road. That's why we need the power, the presence, and the influence of God through Jesus through the Father, through the Holy Spirit, to accomplish those good works. So to say that we believe in Jesus is to make a confession, to be clear that's all we need to do to be saved. The Word says, what must I do to be saved? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you will be saved. But Jesus calls us out of our salvation, out of that gratitude, out of that overflow. He calls us to act. He calls us to be He calls us out of our being to do something. Because don't we also know that the world is in need? Don't we know that people are dying to be in relationship with just one person? And how many people are living in our community that don't even have a relationship with somebody? Jesus came to be relational. He came to restore broken relationship. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series, is how to become more of a doer of the things we say that we believe. How do we become a believer that's moving towards someone who is a fully developed disciple? How do we take the church beyond the walls to do something greater than just gather here for a little bit of time each week? So that's where we're going. This week on Thursday morning, I got together with a pastor friend of mine at the Red Cup in Muckleteo. It's a nice little coffee shop that overlooks the water. Uh, This was a young man that I began discipling more than 20 years ago when he was a seventh grader. Funny thing, he's been a lead pastor now longer than I have. But we got together and he had some questions. I have questions for him and he's got questions for me. And his question when we met this last week was this. He said, How do I help transform my inwardly focused congregation into an outwardly focused congregation? Essentially, he's asking, how do I help my people get their eyes off themselves? This is something that I've been a part of for a lot of years. I've been a, a local missionary. I've done global mission teams. My purpose in Christ for the last dozen years or so has been to help the church figure out how to stop thinking about itself all the time. And I've taken a lot of people kicking and screaming out of church buildings uh, and <laughs> taken a few blows in the process, but those people are more transformed. They look more like Jesus than they used to because they went on that journey, right? So I sat with my friend and I thought, you know, well, here's what you got to do, man. You got you to think of some outwardly facing goals for your congregation. He said, like what? I said, well, like this. Uh, what if our congregation, what if your congregation was to pack up and move? out of the building that it meets in. Would anybody in the community around care or notice that you had moved? Does it matter to anyone else besides you or us that we meet where we do? Does it matter to anybody else? So that's one thing. You've got to think about that. Secondly, 
It would be important to know that if your community had an important decision to make about the schools or the hospitals or the transportation situation or rent caps or gentrification or racial injustice or hungry kids, like if the community had these questions, would they invite the church to the conversation or not? And the hope would be if we're an outwardly focused congregation working on things that don't really matter to us personally, like we're going to get in and out of here whether or not a kid is starving at home today. We will get in and out of here. We will be able to do that. Will we be a congregation, and I would suggest that we are, that cares about the needs that exist beyond ourselves. That is what a growing disciple does. Cares about needs that exist beyond themselves. So we talked about that and my friend Stern a little bit. I said, and and here's something else. It would be important that you develop a genuine friendship, like a really genuine friendship with someone who doesn't believe in Jesus as their Savior. He's like, well, well, I know it's all the people I know are Christians. And I said, I've been there. That's important. How do I find people in my life that aren't believers and develop real, deep, meaningful friendships with them? We talk about something called a social mosaic. I want to show you one of mine. We have a picture. Uh, this is from yesterday and all week long. This is one of my social mosaics. A social mosaic is a group of people with whom Jesus is present because he's present everywhere. But the common denominator of the gathering isn't necessarily Jesus himself. Right? The common denominator here is that we have come to worship God. We've come to celebrate with those through baptism that worship God. And that's the foundation of this meeting. But it draws a lot of people that are already like us, that believe like us, like act like us. But what about the rest of us? What about the rest of God's kids that don't even know God yet? Sometimes it's really difficult to get people to just come to a church service because, man, you know what? Church services are awkward sometimes if you don't know what to do. Right? How many places could we wander into and not know what to do? If I wandered into a martial arts course or into the middle of a hockey game or uh, into a whole lot of different places, I wouldn't know what to do and it would feel awkward to me, so I don't go to those places. But we're called as believers in Jesus to wander into places where Jesus isn't the main thing so that we can build genuine relationships. So Little League has been one of our social mosaics as a family for the last six years. Uh, and this week we had a really, really fun week in Little League. Uh, our son won the, the District 1 Little League Championship yesterday, but we had to play a lot of games to get there. We had to play on Wednesday and win. We had to play on Thursday and win. We had to play on Friday and win. And then we had to play twice yesterday and win. And we got to celebrate some really cool stuff with a whole lot of people that don't know Jesus yesterday. Genuine relationships are forming and have formed with people outside of the faith. Not to bait and switch people and get them in, but because there is hurt in the world and we believe that God has set us free, that we can provide freedom. We don't, get, we don't get money when people come to Jesus. That's not the goal. It's not to put a notch in our belt. It's to say, I was broken. I was starving. I was a beggar. I was hungry. Somebody found me in Bothell when I was 11 years old and I was never the same. So I want to give it away to as many people as I possibly can. This is the conversation that me and my friend are having. Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Who would you put your trust in? Who would you trust your family with? Do we have people outside of the kingdom? These are the questions he's asking. How do I take a church that is inwardly focused and make it outwardly focused? And then my friend got a little uncomfortable. I'm glad he's this honest. And he goes, you know what? I, uh, 
what if I don't want to do all that? <laughs> That's exactly what he said to me. What if that makes me really uncomfortable to do that? And I gave him some more antidotes and some more encouragement. And by that point in time, I was feeling quite qualified in the moment. Thank you very much. In my response and in my history and in my pedigree of doing all these things to help our inwardly focused people become outwardly focused. I was having one of those moments. You have those moments, right? When you know it all and I am feeling qualified. And he says, that's so helpful. Hey, before we go, um, can I just ask you a question? I said, sure, Josh. What, what do you got, man? He goes, How's your Sabbath rest going right now? How are you doing at taking some time off and some downtime? I said, no, Josh, we're not here to talk about me today, man. We're here to talk about your inwardly focused church and how it needs to be more outwardly focused. Don't ask me about how I'm doing with rest. And he goes, isn't it interesting that breaking that commandment will probably get you a raise in the church, choosing not to rest and work harder? But breaking all the rest will probably destroy your life and get you fired. Isn't it interesting? And I'm like, oh, man, Lord. And it was one of those moments where I was realizing my questions were coming out. What if I don't want to do all these things like sit still? Right. What if I don't like it because it makes me uncomfortable? Because I can't seem to reconcile in my understanding how doing less will accomplish more. Is that a conundrum for anyone else? How doing less will accomplish more. But that's the way of God's kingdom. When we do less, more happens. Because it's his influence, it's his power, it's his authority that gets it done. And he calls us to rest. See, I've got what Peter had. I would make a great follower of Jesus. That's what we're talking about in this unqualified series on discipleship. I would make a great follower of Jesus, Ashley, if I would ever get behind him. But I, I see what he has for me, and then I go racing off like Peter did. In my own understanding, does anyone ever do that? Get excited about a call that God has put on your life, and you just assumed he meant now? And you don't rest? I'm just like him. I'll be out in front. So there's a point in this conversation that I'm having with my friend, is that both Josh and I have natural God-gifted Giftings. God-given giftings. God gives us stuff. He gives us gifts. And in my gift, I naturally lean outward. In Josh's gifts, he leans inward. One isn't better than the other. They complement each other. But neither of those gifts in their natural state, without the power of the Holy Spirit breathing life on those gifts, will they accomplish anything. It will leave us with two very broken people operating in their gifts. One person who's stuck in a church building that isn't going out and doing anything in their community, just rotting to death until everyone in the congregation has their funeral and it shuts down. And then there's the other guy who's so burnt out and waxed at trying to help everybody solve all of their problems without going back to Jesus for strength that the church also shuts down. Because he didn't go and I didn't rest. Isn't that an interesting conundrum that the church faces? That when things aren't breathed upon, natural gifts can't blossom into the thing that God created them to be. Genesis 2.7 Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And the man became a living, breathing being. Dust of the ground. Afar is the word in the Hebrew. And it's interesting because all of the components that we have in our body, like the really cool DNA that makes us up and how complicated God made us in our strength that we could see with our eyes and walk with our feet, we're incredibly complex beings. And in ourselves we have natural giftings, but our lives need the breath of God. Our lives need the influence of our Creator to make what is natural into something that is supernatural. That when the Spirit of God breathes life into us, we are different. His influence makes us different. And we need the power, we need the authority, we need the influence, we need the persuasion of God, we need Him to compel us as followers of Jesus to move towards things that are uncomfortable. For Josh, it's getting out of the building. For me, it's sitting still. Josh needs the power of the Holy Spirit and the influence to compel him to go. I need the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit to compel me to stop. Isn't it amazing how God makes us? And it gives us chances to meet at the coffee shop on a Thursday morning. And I can say, how are you doing and you're going? And he says, great, how are you doing and you're resting? We need the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit to do these things. This will be the ongoing tension for the disciple, knowing when to go, when to stop. Tyrone McMorris preached last weekend. If you haven't had a chance to hear his message, it's online on our website. It's a good one. He was talking about the the parallels between Jesus' revelation to his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, on a mountaintop. It says that Jesus was transfigured before them and a bright light came about. And two characters from the Old Testament showed up. It was crazy. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, are summed up in Jesus. And so they're having this moment up there, and it says a cloud came down. The cloud that came down is the same cloud that came down on the people of Israel when they're wandering in the desert. Same word, same cloud that came down upon those people. And the point of the cloud was this. It helped the people know when to go and when to stop. When to go and when to stop. And because there were a people that listened to the voice of God, that's what disciples do. That's what baptized disciples do, is they listen to God. When Jesus was baptized, it says he heard his father's voice come down from heaven with a dove, Matthew chapter 3. Good morning, come on in. You're all good. Just find a speed. Just find a spot. Vaughn, your whole family's here, bro. It's awesome. I love it. We listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who tells us when to go and when not to go. And today is a fun day. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Not everybody might know what that means. But it's a day that we remember as the day that's recorded in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church. That's all it is. The church, this all started at some point. We didn't come up with church out of thin air because we didn't have anything better to do in the Northwest. This is a 2,000-plus-year-old thing going on. It's the work of God, and it's not a place. It's a people filled with the Spirit of God, baptized by Him to go and do good works because He loves us. Not to earn His love, but because He loves us. Pentecost Sunday is the day recorded in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit fell on the believers, as Chris mentioned earlier. His power fell on 
the believers in Jerusalem. And it signifies the fulfillment of a massive shift in the relationship that God had with his people. Because we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he's always doing new stuff. Same character, new action. That's why we got to listen. He's always doing new stuff. But it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is available to us today in Christ. To pray for people who are suffering from mental illness at 9.15 this morning and have them tell us at 9.45 that they aren't being plagued with the same things they were 30 minutes earlier. That stuff happened in this place right where Hal's sitting this morning. It happened earlier this morning. People being set free from illness, set free from addiction, set free from bondage, healed in relationship. The power of God does this stuff. How do I know? Because I've seen it. You can't tell me otherwise. I've seen it work. That's how God works with us. But He's always doing something new in relationship. Way back in the Old Testament, that's like this much of the Bible right here. So the old part, right? The part hanging between my fingers. The old part. It says that God was out there somewhere. He was out. I don't know where he is. He's just out there somewhere doing, I don't know, he's out there doing something. He's in a cloud. He's in a burning bush. His voice comes from heaven. He's out there. He lives in a temple. The temple got destroyed. Everyone wonders what happened to God, but he's still there. But at Christmas time, 2,000 years ago, the God who was out there became the God who was with us. Jesus, Emmanuel. The word Emmanuel means God with us. Isn't it good to have somebody with us? Isn't it good to have God with us? God with us. Pentecost Sunday was the day in the book of Acts where God was no longer was out there. He was no longer just simply with us. He was in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what? What does that mean? It means that where I am, He is. He's always everywhere. But now His power isn't just out there somewhere. It's not right next to me. Nevea, it's in me. His power is in me so that I can pray for people at 915 and see him healed by 945. That's why he gave us the power. He gave us discerning power to walk down the street when we see someone doing drugs and to stop and have a conversation with them and not judge them, but to help them. How do we help them? It's not a spiel about why drugs are bad. It's can you tell me something about who you are? And tears will stream down the face of people when we stop and say, Jedediah, I care. I can't do that in my own strength. And even when I do it in his strength, he says that sometimes you got to stop for me to refill you. It's tough for people like me. Right? Go, go, go. Pentecost Sunday was one of the major feasts. Here's a little church history for you. There were three major feasts that happened in the Jewish calendar. This was for thousands of years since people were born. Since the Lord breathed breath into Adam, man, Adam, breathed life into him, and he was born, and sin came, and then there was redemption through Abraham. God's always been working. But this is the history of the Jewish people. And in their tradition, they would come to celebrate the things that God had done for them in three specific feasts. The Passover feast, which celebrates the Israelites' conclusion in captivity in Egypt. 
when the Lord passed over and did not take the lives of those who put the blood of a lamb across the doorframe. He was saying, I will provide a sacrifice because when we sin, something has to die. That's how, that's how the Bible works. Because of sin, there is death. Because of God's grace, there's forgiveness. It's the gospel. Because there's sin, there's death. Because of God's grace, there's forgiveness. It came through animals, but not forever. Every time there was sin, there had to be a sacrifice made. An animal had to die. That's what that feast celebrated, was that when the Israelites put the blood of a lamb on a doorframe, the Spirit of God would pass by and not take a firstborn child. That was grace for sin. That's the first feast. They celebrated that for thousands of years leading up to Jesus' birth. There's the Feast of Pentecost, which happens exactly 50 days after the Passover feast. It's seven, seven sevens, okay? 49 days. That's today. The Passover feast ended the night before Easter. This is how the church calendar works. It ended before, the night before Easter. Jesus rose on the first day. Seven sevens, 49 plus today gets us to 50 days since Easter. That's why we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. What was that feast about? It celebrated the promised return of the Messiah. It was also called the Festival of Weeks, where they celebrated God's provision. That God is a God that provides. And there's the Feast of the Tabernacle. That's the time when the people remembered how dumb it was to wander around in the desert alone for 40 years. It's important to remember our stupidity so we don't repeat it. Isn't it? Because what we don't learn from, we're bound to repeat. So they remembered. Remember when we wandered around? Remember how faithful God is? That's why we do these things. We don't have Easter services and Christmas services to get more people in the door so we can feel good about the size of our churches. Some people... But if we're right in our spirit, we won't, we're just going to celebrate the goodness of God and remember what He's done for us. Each of these three solemn feasts required every able bodied Jewish man from about 12 years old and up to come to the feast and provide a sacrifice. So Jesus was in the custom of coming to the city often, three times a year for like 17 years, 18 years from the point where he was 12 to the point where he was 30. He came to these towns. So interesting how God ties new activity into existing traditions. Same God, same character, new activity. I'm Chris, by the way. Kwame. Kwame? Nice to meet you. That's what God does, Kwame. He works new activities into old traditions so that we know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he's always doing new stuff. Right? So he works these things in. Interesting that the Passover, when Jesus came into the city, Palm Sunday, leading up into the Passover, the weekend he died. Isn't it interesting that that weekend they were celebrating the end of slavery in Egypt and no longer a lamb that would be put over the doorpost, the blood of a lamb over a doorpost, no longer but the blood of a Savior on a cross for all eternity, all mankind would be saved, delivered not from Egypt, but for sin forever. Delivered, set free. Isn't it interesting that the festival of weeks celebrating the harvested crops and the promised Messiah who would give us the Holy Spirit. What more to celebrate the promise of the coming of the King, but for the King to put His Spirit in us, that we would be baptized why did I just tell you all that? That's a whole lot of church history. 
You didn't pay for Bible college degrees. You just came here for the morning, watched Vaughn and some guys get baptized. But why? Why all the history? I tell you all this because on the first Pentecost, after the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, after the very first Pentecost, Jesus baptized his followers in the power of the Holy Spirit. Today we are celebrating at least three baptisms. I say at least three because if the Lord puts it on your heart to get baptized, all you've got to do is go out there and confess His name and say, I need support in my relationship with Jesus. And we'll put you down and we'll bring you back up. <laughs> Buried with Christ in His death, raised to new life and resurrection, sin is washed away and we are free and now we've got a support system. I had a friend walking in recovery. He goes, i got a support group now. I said, you know, he says, you know the problem with support groups, right? And I said, what's that? He goes, you get support. He goes, I can't just hide in a dark room any longer because people know that I'm missing and they call me and then they come visit me. And I'm not sure if he was really comfortable with that at first, but it saved his life. When you get baptized, you go down, you die with Jesus, you're resurrected. It's just symbolic. There's nothing spooky going on. It's not weird. It doesn't mean you're saved. It's just saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. That's what it is. That's what we're doing this morning. So as we celebrate these baptisms, we understand that there's two baptisms that Jesus calls every believer in Jesus to fulfill in order to become more of a follower of Jesus. Someone who does what they say, right? Two kinds of baptism, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism. Today we're talking about water baptism. If you want part two, come back next week. We'll talk about Holy Spirit baptism. It's not freaky. It's the power of God in the life of a believer to be a normal person filled with grace that can offer salvation through a testimony that Jesus brings. That's all it is. And pastor said, if you can't use your spirit-filled gifts in the grocery store and walk up next to somebody and say, hey, you know what, I think the Lord might have something to say to you. This has happened before. You walk up to someone and tell them something, and they burst into tears because you just read their mail, and you weren't weird You didn't start screaming and yelling and rolling around on the ground. Like, it was, that's the problem sometimes. I'll just say it. People get a little twitchy about Pentecostals. Sometimes it's it's different. But Jesus says all these gifts are orderly gifts. They're orderly gifts. They're gifts with power. So we talked about these two baptisms. The one we're going to look at for the next few minutes, and then we're going to go outside and baptize some people. It's in Matthew chapter 3. You can turn there if you have your Bibles, or if you have your phones, or you just want to listen along. It'll be a, a combination of pictures and words on the screen this morning, because I realize some people don't like words. They like pictures. I'm a word guy, but I can deal with pictures. Here's a picture. This sets the scene. Based on Luke chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, this is baptism. That's the guy that started it all. Aren't you glad? That he was unqualified, but qualified by God. Aren't you glad? John the Baptist. So I will read, and you can look at this picture for those who like images. In those days, what days? 30 years after Jesus was born. So Matthew takes this 30-year jump. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. So this is the one 700 years ago 
all you Jewish school children, and they were, they knew. They were familiar with this text. In fact, the boys had it memorized. All 66 chapters. Holy smokes. They would memorize the word. They would hide it in their hearts that they might not sin against him. He, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. It says that John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And boy, did the people come out to take a look at this. Right? It says people went out to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea, all the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized in him in the Jordan River. So John the Baptist says to these people, the presence of God is with us. This is the new thing, because he used to be out there. But guess what, ladies and gentlemen, 30 years ago he showed up, and now he's about to get busy doing some stuff in the city. He's about to start healing some people. He's going to be with us, not just out there. He will be with us. And the presence of God is with us. So we got to change some of our minds about some stuff. we got to make some different decisions about the way we're living, because God is with us. You ever behave differently around certain people when they're with you than when they're not with you? Like especially the people that you respect and the people that you know have invested in your life. If they're around, boy, we just behave a little bit differently. Well, the God of the universe who's always there is now just physically here. And John says we have to change our minds. Repent and be baptized. Repent just means change your mind. Guys, God's here. Let's change our minds about a couple things. He speaks to the people in their context. He talks to the people in a way that they would understand him. And so he uses the scriptures that he had memorized to say, this is that, what you learned a long time ago. It's here now. So he's got their attention by reading the scripture out of Isaiah, which was written 400, sorry, 700 years in advance of John's telling. John is not your ordinary Sunday school teacher, as you can tell. Right? Most people, if you walked into Sunday school and saw that guy, your kids are going right back out the door with you. You're going to go find the next church down the block. But John was no ordinary Sunday school teacher. He was unqualified, just like me. He didn't have the pedigree. He didn't have all the fancy education. But boy, he could rip into those that did because they were abusing their power. They were using the grace of God to promote themselves not to be saved. This word baptism, confessing their sins, they were baptized. Those who came out to see what was going on in the desert were baptized in the river. They were baptized in the river. This word baptism in the Greek, it's an important word, baptizdo, is how the word comes across in the Greek. It means to be fully submerged, to come fully under the influence of something. When I say come under the influence, all sorts of things come to your mind. Most of them aren't good. But the reality is we are influenced by things all day long, but the Spirit of God helps us to choose what we will follow. The world is trying to influence me every day to make decisions that will end my life. If I followed every urge that the media asked me to, I'd be dead by now. When we are under the influence of drugs or illegal narcotics, we act stupid. And sometimes my kids see this because we're out with people. People are loved, but I said, don't act that way. They don't want to be acting that way either. Let's help people stop acting this way by being in relationship with them. 
so that the relationship will replace the narcotic or the alcohol or whatever it is so that they can be raised up and be in relationship. They can be under the influence of Jesus, not under the influence of substances. Under the influence. This word means to be transformed. This is extra biblical. But when they were doing archaeological work, they found, I kid you not, the group that was doing some archaeological work found some recipes for taking fresh food way back before refrigerators and preserving it, right? So like cucumbers and the pickles. There was recipes for how to do this. And the word that was used that would take a cucumber and submerge it in a liquid to preserve it and transform it is the same word, baptizo. Huh. That helps me remember things because I'm kind of a simple guy. But the same thing that takes a cucumber and turns it into a pickle and preserves it for later, right? It's the same word. I am baptized. I am submerged under the influence of the power of God so that when I come up, I'm different and I'm ready for the long haul. That's what baptism is all about. Seven. Verse seven, chapter three. This is... John calling out the religious leaders. So the normal people had shown up. They realized they had sin in their life. They needed to get confessed. And then the church people showed up that were too prideful to confess that they had sin in their lives. And so John rips into him. He says, when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptized, he said to them, you brood of vipers, you snakes. (laughs) Welcome to the party. Not your average Sunday school teacher. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? He says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Do something right by changing your mind, guys. Do something right for once. Make a smart decision. That's all he's saying. And don't think that you can say, oh, our great-grandpappy, he was a good guy, so we're in. We're like the good old boys club. We're in. That's what they thought. They thought that the faith of Abraham would save them thousands of years later. And he said, no way. This is a decision that you get to make. Will you follow me or not? He says, and don't think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. Then the warning, the axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He is coming after them. These are the pastors. These are the priests. These are the teachers of the law that had lost their heart of God and replaced it with a heart of pride. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. That's what today is about. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He's talking about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. He will take what is good and the rest will go. Rough, difficult words. Our coach who led us to a division one or you know whatever title championship. I mean, they were like the best. I'm proud of my son. They were like the best out of 60 teams and they won five in a row. Boy, they took it. But our coach, our coach yesterday, he's hard, man. I'm like, you can't say that. The kids will cry, you know, but he does it in love. He says hard stuff in love. And at the end of the season, while the kids are holding their trophies, best out of 60 teams, he goes, I am not the easiest coach to play for. I'm aware of that. But I love you. 
And some of you needed to, a little less coddling to stay down on the ground ball. Man, stay down on that ball at third base. Pick it up. Throw it across the diamond cleanly. Throw your hands at the ball. Get a hit. Work the pitch count. I'm like, dude, you're like 11, bro. You know, and, but he says, I'm hard on you. I'm not the easiest coach to work for, but I love you. I bet Jesus was like that. I bet the way that we dumbed down how he yelled at his disciples was, I mean, he yelled at these people. <laughs> this is the one that will come. Jesus will come. And then he came. He says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me. He's saying, I am not qualified to baptize you. He said, well, baptize me anyways. Jesus replied, let it be so. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and aligning on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Why was Jesus baptized if he didn't have any sin in his life? Because he's the one person without sin? He was baptized because he was confessing sins on behalf of the nation, just like the, the men of old, Nehemiah and Ezra, Moses and Daniel, all interceded for the people. Jesus was following in line, interceding for a sinful people who he would give his life for. He was showing support for John's ministry. He was saying yes and amen to all the things that John had just said that we just read about. He was kicking off his own ministry. At the point when Jesus was baptized, he went into the desert for 40 days and started healing people. That's what he did. And he was identifying with those who knew they were sick. Jesus said, I came for those who knew they were sick, not the ones who thought they had it all together. That's the difference between stinky church people that nobody wants to be around and real sinners saved by grace. Is those of us who are sinners saved by grace realize that we are still broken. We are still in the process of redemption. God is still setting us free. That's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating three individuals that say, I do not have it all together yet, but I love him anyways. I love God anyways. I don't have it all together yet. Loving God and being broken are not mutually exclusive things. It's our brokenness that leads us to the power of Jesus that transforms us in the long run. That's what we're doing today. We're going to go outside in just a second here. I'm going to talk a little bit more about baptism from out there, but what I'd like us to do, this will take... 15, 20 minutes, it'll close up our service. We're going to head out, and we're just going to get around a, a baptismal pool that's out there. Just just make your way around. And then Vaughn, and then Isaac, and Nathan, they're going to be baptized today. We're going to do what Romans 6 says. That would be a good passage of Scripture to read that we didn't have time to teach today. Romans 6 says... We shouldn't go on sinning any longer that grace may abound, but no, we have been buried with Christ in his death, that we might be raised to new life. It goes on to say more, but that's what it is. This is a water grave out here. That's all it is. It's a water grave. It symbolizes our death, that we would die to pride and selfishness and vain conceit and ambition that doesn't belong to Jesus and not resting or not going, whatever our sin happens to be. Isn't that amazing? He tells us when to go and when to stop. 
We're going to stop and we're going to celebrate with these three men who are making a decision to say, I have followed Jesus. I need your help in the process. There's no going back. Amen? Amen. So we're going to take a minute. I'm going to change really fast. We're going to go out there. Can somebody, Todd, can you help pull the cover off? And, uh, and then we're going to baptize each individual one by one, and then we're going to take a minute to pray over them, and we'll go from there. Amen? So let's head outside. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.